Hello, this is Father John Arthur Orr, Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 48th installment on man and woman, he created them a theology of the body. The 133 presentations prepared by Pope John Paul II during the years 1979 and 1984. We are indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition we are using. The Problem of Erotic Spontaneity Today we resume the analysis we began one week ago on the mutual relation between the ethical and the erotic. Our reflections follow the thread of the words Christ spoke in the Sermon on the Mount by which he referred back to the commandment, You shall not commit adultery, and at the same time defined concupiscence, the concupiscent look, as adultery committed in the heart. It follows from these reflections that ethos is connected with the discovery of a new order of values. It is necessary continually to rediscover the spousal meaning of the body and the true dignity of the gift in what is erotic. This is the task of the human spirit, and it is by its nature an ethical task. If one does not assume this task, the very attraction of the senses and the passion of the body can stop at mere concupiscence, deprived of all ethical value. And man, male and female, does not experience that fullness of eros, which implies the upward impulse of the human spirit toward what is true, good, and beautiful, so that what is erotic also becomes true, good, and beautiful. It is therefore indispensable that ethos becomes the constitutive form of Eros. The reflections mentioned above are closely connected with the problem of spontaneity. People often maintain that ethos takes away spontaneity from what is erotic in human life and behavior, and for this reason they often demand detachment from ethos for the benefit of Eros. The words of the Sermon on the Mount would also seem to prevent this benefit, yet this opinion is mistaken and, at any rate, superficial. If we accept it and obstinately maintain it, we will never reach the full dimension of Eros, and this failure will inevitably be echoed in the realm of the corresponding praxis, that is, in our behavior, and also in the concrete experience of values. In fact, the one who accepts the ethos of the statement of Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 and 28, should know that he or she is also called to full and mature spontaneity in relationships that are born from the perennial attraction of masculinity and femininity. Such spontaneity is itself the gradual fruit of the discernment of the impulses of one's own heart. Christ's words are severe. They demand that in the sphere in which relationships with persons of the other sex are formed, man has full and deep consciousness of his own acts, and above all of his interior acts, and that he is conscious of the inner impulses of his own heart, so that he can identify and evaluate them in a mature way. Christ's words demand that in this sphere which seems to belong only to the body and the senses, that is, to the exterior man, he should succeed in being really an interior man, able to obey right conscience, 
able to be the authentic master of his own innermost impulses, like a watchman who watches over a hidden spring, and finally able to draw from all these impulses what is fitting for purity of heart, by building with conscience and consistency the personal sense of the spousal meaning of the body, which opens the interior space of the freedom of the gift. Thus, if man wants to respond to the call expressed by Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, he must learn with perseverance and consistency what the meaning of the body is, the meaning of femininity and masculinity. He must learn it not only through an objectifying abstraction, though this is needed as well, but above all, in the sphere of the interior reactions of his own heart. This is a science that cannot really be learned only from books because it consists primarily of deep knowledge of human interiority. Within the sphere of this knowledge, man learns to distinguish between what on the one hand makes up the manifold riches of masculinity and femininity in the signs that spring from their perennial call and creative attraction, and what on the other hand bears only the sign of concupiscence. And although within certain limits these variants and nuances of inner movements of the heart can be confused with each other, it should nonetheless be said that the inner man is called by Christ to reach a more mature and complete evaluation that allows him to distinguish and judge the various movements of his own heart. One should add that this task can be carried out and that it is truly worthy of man. In fact, the discernment we are speaking about is by its essence related to spontaneity. Man's subjective structure shows, in this area, a specific richness and a clear differentiation. Thus, a noble pleasure is one thing, mere sexual desire another. When sexual desire is connected with a noble pleasure, it differs from desire pure and simple. Analogously, as far as the sphere of immediate reactions of the heart is concerned, sexual arousal is quite different from the deep emotion with which not only inner sensibility but also sexuality itself reacts to the integral expression of femininity and masculinity. The argument cannot be further developed here, but it is certain that if we claim that Christ's words, according to Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, are severe, they are severe also in the sense that they contain deep demands in regard to human spontaneity. There cannot be such spontaneity in all the movements and impulses that spring from mere carnal concupiscence, deprived as it is of choice and of an adequate hierarchy. At the price of mastery over these impulses, man reaches that deeper and more mature spontaneity with which his heart, by mastering the instincts, rediscovers the spiritual beauty of the sign constituted by the human body in its masculinity and femininity, inasmuch as this discovery becomes firm in conscience as conviction, and in the will as the orientation both of possible choices and of simple desires, 
the human heart comes to share, so to speak, in another's spontaneity, of which the carnal man knows nothing or very little. There is no doubt that by Christ's words, according to Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, we are called precisely to such spontaneity. And perhaps the most important sphere, a praxis, with respect to the most interior acts, is the one that traces the road step by step toward such spontaneity. This topic is vast, and we will have to take it up once again later when we focus on showing the true nature of purity of heart. According to the Gospel, see Theology of the Body, 50-59. through 59. For now, we conclude by saying that the words with which Christ calls the attention of his audience then and today to concupiscence, the concupiscent look, indirectly indicate the road toward a mature spontaneity of the human heart that does not suffocate its noble desires and aspirations, but on the contrary liberates and helps them. Let what we have said about the mutual relation between the ethical and the erotic according to the ethos of the Sermon on the Mount suffice for now. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concluded his 48th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. This 48th Catechesis is part of Chapter 2 of the Theology of the Body, Christ Appeals to the Human Heart. The fourth part of Chapter 2 addresses the heart accused or called. Today we've heard about the problem of erotic spontaneity. There have been those, and there are those, who would say, oh, well, we just have to go where we have to go. We have to do things off the cuff or on the fly. To plan something, oh, it's no good. It just has to be the whim, impulse of the moment. If we recall the words of Aristotle, that ancient thinker, he reminds us that intelligence is manifest by order. And when things are well planned out, imagine a surgery, the surgeon makes sure that the scalpels and all the other instruments of surgery, the things needed for the operation, are all in place before the procedure begins. Proper prior planning prevents pitifully poor performance. When you go see a football game or a tennis match, how many preparations go into it? Is that to say it's no fun? Is that to say it's no good? Is that to say it's not worthwhile? Of course it's worthwhile, and it's even better. The problem of erotic spontaneity. This 48th catechesis addresses a problem of our era, of our time. John Paul II taking the bull by the horns. This is the third part of the fourth part of the second chapter, the first part of the theology of the body. Christ appeals to the human heart. Christ did not come to redeem the fish of the sea or the birds of the air or the beast of the field. He came to redeem human beings. So he appeals to our hearts. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I say, whoever looks with desire, a disordered desire upon the other has already committed adultery in the heart. Christ appeals to our human hearts. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. This is the Lord's teaching found in the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord Jesus, true God and true man, is addressing fallen man, male and female. 
we who suffer from a tendency to do evil, a tendency to sin. The technical term for that is concupiscence. Pope John Paul II has reminded us that there is the commandment, the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery, or as it is said in Spanish, no hacer actos impuros, do not do impure acts, which is more encompassing than you shall not commit adultery. Fornication is an impure act, but it's not adultery. We know the commandment, and we know the ethos, the manners or custom which our Lord is invoking here, not to have a disordered desire, a disordered look upon another. In this current catechesis, Pope John Paul II is drawing our attention to the relationship which exists between that which is ethical, what good I should do, what evil I should avoid, and the erotic. So the Holy Father is not saying not to have or not to desire any sexual pleasure or not to have any sexual desire or sexual pleasure. The Holy Father is pointing out that there is a rightly ordered or rightly enjoyed sexual pleasure, sexual desire. Pope John Paul II in his professional background was a professor of ethics at the Catholic University of Lublin. So he's pretty well positioned, even just academically, not to mention theologically or by the grace of being the Bishop of Rome, to address these matters as he does so well throughout these 133 catechesis, echoing the teaching of the apostles who themselves merely echoed what they had received from the Lord Jesus Christ who himself echoed only what he heard from the Eternal Father from all eternity. Pope John Paul II points out to us how Christ defines the concupiscent look, you shall not look with the disordered desire upon the other, as adultery committed in the heart. So there are the impure acts acted out, not only impure acts in the heart, but impure acts indeed. By extending... The commandment, in a sense, even to the desires of the heart, it's to reinforce the ninth commandment, not to covet your neighbor's wife, or not to have impure desires, no hay deseos impuros, as they say in Spanish. Our Lord is coming to fulfill the law. What God gave to Moses on Sinai's height was very good, but without God's grace, impossible to keep. And the grace of God comes to us, through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, true God and true man, divine bridegroom of Mother Church. Christ defines the concupiscent look, a disordered look to possess as adultery committed in the heart. Our popular culture, television, cinema, web-based content, how supportive is this culture of Christ's call to purity of heart? Not very much so, and that's a shame. But if we don't recognize the filth around us, how are we to avoid it or to seek cleansing from it? So the Holy Father raises the issue that we might live a well-examined life. The classic philosophical axiom, the unexamined life is not worth living. So our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, examined human life, his own and that of those of his fellows, of his neighbors, even those who had gone before him. Pope John Paul II, in this 48th Catechesis, reminds us that ethos is connected with the discovery of a new order of values. The gospel 
sheds light not only on God, in whose image we are made, but on ourselves, we who are made in the image of God. And because the manners and customs which we learn from Christ our Lord, from his bride-mother church, especially regarding purity of heart, this establishes a new order of values. What is worthwhile? What is worthy of man? Christ our Lord entrusted his virgin mother to the virgin St. John at the foot of the cross. Consecrated virginity has been known throughout the centuries of the church's existence, even as she awaits the return of Christ the Lord in glory to judge the living and the dead. Consecrated virginity, a value, heretofore not so well celebrated, but the virgin Christ exalts it. This is not at the expense or to denigrate holy marriage, which the Lord Jesus Christ also exalts, which also calls for the purity of heart. It is not only the consecrated virgins who are to safeguard their purity of heart, but all of us. Chastity is a natural virtue, although Christians have a supernatural incentive and aid, help, to preserve chastity in thought, word, and deed. This is part of the ethos of the gospel, the ethos of redemption, the new order of values. Pope John Paul II in this 48th Catechesis reminds us of the spousal meaning of the man made for the woman, the woman made for the man, for a fruitful, faithful, life-giving love, how the spousal meaning of the body needs to be continually rediscovered, not only generation by generation, but even throughout each one's life, continually rediscovered and appreciated, treasured, admired. We give thanks to Almighty God who has made us so wonderfully and who has remade us in Christ even more wondrously. Pope John Paul II continues this 48th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, by drawing our attention to the attraction of the senses and passion of the body, how these can stop at mere concupiscence. So it's not enough to have our senses, it's not enough to have our emotions or passions, because they can stop, they can be truncated, they can be short-circuited by that tendency to sin. And here the Holy Father seems to have in mind the concupiscence of the flesh, sins of the flesh. When we stop at mere concupiscence, then our senses and our passions are deprived of all ethical value. That's very serious. No ethical value. Deprived of all ethical value. There ain't nothing good in it. That's very serious from Pope John Paul II. And if there's no ethical value in our emotions, our passions, our senses, because we stop at mere concupiscence, our experience of Eros is thwarted because true Eros... True sexual desire, which is good, true, and beautiful, which is noble, implies the upward impulse of the human spirit toward those transcendentals. It is a noble thing, it is a good thing, to be fruitful and multiply. We know that from sacred scripture. And here our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, again reminds us of these truths, which are at once ethical and erotic. Part of what is good and true and beautiful is the complementarity of man and woman. Part of what is good and true and beautiful is the spousal meaning of the body. Part of what is good and true and beautiful are the commandments of God and the beatitudes of the Lord. 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Do not do impure acts. Do not have impure desires. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. I say, whoever looks with a disordered desire upon another has already committed adultery in the heart. This is part of the good gospel, of the true gospel, of the beautiful gospel, which calls us to live in truth, to be beautiful people, beautiful in our relationships with others and with God, and even with ourselves. Pope John Paul continues his 48th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, by saying it is indispensable, you can't do without it, that ethos becomes the constitutive form of eros. Some people will seek sexual gratification, have sexual desires without any concern for what is right or wrong, what is good or evil. And the Holy Father here, who knows the words of Jesus, who has spoken to us in the fullness of time, and this is why he says it is indispensable that ethos and eros are conjoined, that ethos, the customs, the activities, the habits which are good, are constitutive, that make up the form of sexual desire and sexual pleasure. Quite a thing for the vicar of Christ, the successor of St. Peter, the bishop of Rome, to speak these truths to a libertine world, which has turned a deaf ear, in a sense, to the gospel, and to this sure and certain teaching, much to its own demise. How much disease, how much destruction, not only corporeal but spiritual, have resulted by disregarding the sure and certain teaching of the gospel, by disregarding the sure and certain teaching of Mother Church, of the Vicar of Christ. Pope John Paul II continues his 48th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, by again pointing out that some claim that ethos, what good we should do, what evil we should avoid, the habits, the manners, the customs, takes away spontaneity from what is erotic in human life and behavior. Because, after all, these people see sexual pleasure, sexual desire as a recreation. But the trouble is, if you're going to play golf, if you're going to the beach, don't you make sure that you have your clubs and your cleats for the golf course? You have a tee time. You get there in plenty of time to tee off. Where's the spontaneity in all of that? For the beach, don't you make sure you have a towel and your swim clothes? Maybe some lotion? Spontaneity is not all that it's made up to be. Imagine you go to the theater and we leave it to the actors to just be spontaneous. Who would ever hear the words of Shakespeare? To be or not to be. You would never hear it because nobody would have ever practiced. Oh, I'll just say whatever comes to my mind. Well, that's not Shakespeare. That's an attempt at acting without practice. The Holy Father says, Some claim that ethos takes away spontaneity from what is erotic in human life and behavior, and for this reason often demand detachment from ethos for the benefit of eros. John Paul II passes judgment on this way of thinking. He says, This is mistaken. This is superficial. So we know we want to live in the truth, for the truth will set us free. We know we want to be deep followers of the Lord God. We want to be true to the deepest reality of our very being. We want our love, our joy, our pleasure to be true and solid, firmly built, firm foundation, not ephemeral, not passing. We want real, 
the real. And that's what our Holy Father proposes to us because he had it proposed to him by Christ the Lord in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. To accept the ethos of Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, says Pope John Paul, is to know the, of the call to full and mature spontaneity in relationships that are born from the perennial attraction of masculinity and femininity. So here the Holy Father has turned the spontaneity on its head. He's not saying throw spontaneity out. No, but let's have a full spontaneity, a mature spontaneity, which recognizes the dignity of holy marriage. He refers to holy marriage between one man and one woman when he speaks of that perennial attraction of masculinity and femininity, which is to imply that if there is a, quote, spontaneity, end quote, which is acted upon erotically, which is between a man and a man, or a woman and a woman, this is not a full spontaneity, nor a mature spontaneity, but the basest of them. St. Paul tells us elsewhere in the scripture that when he was a child, he used to speak as a child, think as a child. But when he came to full stature, full stature in Christ, he put away childish ways. It comes to mind when our Holy Father calls us to full and mature spontaneity in relationships, that is, holy marriage, that are born from the perennial, the age-old attraction of masculinity and femininity, man and woman. That reminds us of the first chapter of this first part of the theology of the body, when Pope John Paul II reminds us of that conversation which Christ the Lord had, when people asked about divorce and remarriage, and the Lord Jesus responded, in the beginning it was not so. God created them male and female. In the divine image he created them. It was because of the hardness of your hearts that Moses permitted the bill of divorce. Jesus reminds us of the beginning. He reminds us that it is for this reason that a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In that life-giving embrace, in the nuptial embrace. This is what our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, has in mind as he presents this 48th catechesis, man and woman, he created them, a theology of the body. There's no way of getting around it. Pope John Paul II insists that Christ's words are severe. If you look with desire, this disordered desire for the other, you have already committed adultery in your heart. These are severe words. The gospel is not lacking. It has been found difficult. But God's grace is not lacking. God's grace is abundant. And he does not challenge us beyond the support he offers us. So we should not be afraid. We should be confident that with our goodwill and God's great grace and mercy, we can be pure of heart. We can live holy lives, pleasing in the sight of God and neighbor. And if Christ's words are severe, and they are, Christ's words in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, are severe also in the sense that they contain deep demands in regard to human spontaneity. And those deep demands, as he said earlier, are a call to full and mature spontaneity, acting in accord with our nature, acting in accord with the virtues, chastity being one of them, temperance being another, fortitude yet another. Chastity, a rightly exercised, a rightly directed sexuality, 
Temperance, not too much, not too little. Fortitude, the ability for self-restraint. This is not Dr. Seuss, who with his green eggs and ham would have us rhyme where we might eat our green eggs and ham. Here and there and everywhere, spontaneity is not all that it's cracked up to be. The qualitative spontaneity cannot spring from mere carnal concupiscence, but must come from deep within, from that mature and full relationship born of the perennial attraction of masculinity and femininity, male and female, he created them. Until next time, God bless you.